Hello everyone and welcome to the first IFSL Financial Crime podcast, Once Upon a Crime. Firstly, I'd like to introduce the podcast team, which is myself, Paul Latham, and Jen Tippy. Hello, Jen. Hi, Paul. You okay? Excellent today, thank you. So, Jen is a compliance analyst working within our compliance team, and we'll also have some special guests in this series to share their knowledge relating to preventing financial crime. The purpose of these podcasts is to discuss all things financial crime and improve our understanding of how we can fight against it. There's some questions about this podcast and the answer to which you can add to Suzanne as part of your personal development and training record. Today, we're going to discuss all things money laundering, which will also include how to report suspicious activities. So let's start with the basics. Jen, could you explain to our listeners what money laundering is? I certainly can. Money laundering refers to the process of hiding illegally obtained money by passing it through a legitimate financial system. In simpler terms, Paul, it's the process of turning dirty money into clean money. Money laundering can occur in many forms, including drug trafficking, tax evasion, embezzlement and other illegal activities. I see. And how about terrorist and proliferation financing? How are these different from money laundering? Well, terrorist financing involves the provision of funds or financial support to individuals or groups that carry out terrorist activities. The money can come from legitimate sources, for example, charities or from criminal activities such as drug trafficking, extortion or fraud. Proliferation financing facilitates the movement and development of sensitive items and as such can contribute to global instability and potentially catastrophic loss of life if weapons of mass destruction are developed and deployed. I'm quite glad I got that word right, Paul, because I struggle with that on a daily basis. Proliferation, yeah, it's a tough (laughs) one, but well done. It is. (laughs) Um, and, And back to those subjects, which are quite alarming, can you tell us a little bit about the impact of these crimes on society, Jen? Well, yeah, they can have a significant impact on society and they can have devastating consequences for innocent people. And a lot of people don't realise that. But fundamentally, money laundering can also undermine the integrity of the financial system. And are there different types and stages of money laundering? Yes, there are. The fundamental stages are placement, layering and integration. Placement is the introduction of illegal funds into the financial system, typically by depositing them into a bank account or purchasing assets such as real estate or luxury goods. Layering is to obscure the origin of the funds by transferring them between accounts and converting them into different currencies or using complex financial transactions. And integration is laundered funds reintroduced into the economy as legitimate income, often through a business or an investment like your paintings that you own, Paul. Uh, yes, the Van Goghs and the uh, more local Lowry's, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, Jen, can I ask you, how has this process changed in recent times? Well, one major change has been the impact of new technologies. For example, cryptocurrencies have emerged as a popular tool for money laundering because they allow for anonymous transactions that are difficult to trace. And due to the complexity of cryptocurrencies, because they're a boggle to me, I don't know about you, Paul, mm. you know, it, people can be easily scammed. In addition, the rise of online marketplaces and digital payment systems have created new opportunities for launderers to move and hide their money. 
Thank you, Jen. So there must be consequences if we don't guard against money laundering. What are they for a firm and its employees? Well, they can be severe, including fines, imprisonment up to 14 years, reputational damage for the business, as well as the employee. I don't know if you heard recently in the press, such as Santander and HSBC have been fined millions in regards to poor customer due diligence. Mm -hmm. There's also a broader economic and social consequence, such as distorting markets and facilitating corruption. Right, now we've covered the basics, how can money laundering be prevented? Well, as a firm, we refer to regulations that provide guidance and support how to achieve effective controls in the prevention of financial crime. So these consist of the Money Laundering Regulations 2017, the Proceeds of Crime Act, or what we call POCA, the Financial Action Task Force, and JMLSG, the Joint Money Laundering Steering Group. The last two give us guidance on how we can implement these regulations. However, the key to this prevention is customer due diligence and know your customer. That's right. And there's also the uh, FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, which indeed, we both know. There is indeed, Paul, there is yeah. indeed. How awful yeah. that I didn't mention that. No, That's me out of a job. It's fine. No, you, no <laughs> you're doing well. There's lots to remember there. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> so can you expand a little, please, on what is meant by customer due diligence and know your customer? I can indeed. The overall aim of what we call KYC and CDD is to reduce the risks associated with financial crime by verifying the identity of customers and assessing the risks associated with doing business with them. For example, we verify a person's identity via their documents that they provide or electronically screen them. We assess the risks involved in the business relationship with the customer, including the nature of the business, the source of funds and wealth, and the level of transactional activity relating to that customer. We also identify and verify the beneficial owner via company's house. And this is the big thing within compliance and regulation at the moment is the importance of understanding the beneficial owner. We screen for politically exposed persons, adverse media, sanctions. We also maintain accurate and up-to-date records. And finally, we continuously monitor the customer to identify any suspicious behaviour or transactions. It is important to note if a customer is deemed high risk, for example, a politically exposed person or customer based in high jurisdiction, enhanced due diligence is required, Paul. It involves gathering additional information and conducting a more in-depth investigation. Thank you very much for that, Jen. So Not a lot a of in-depth work there. And yeah. uh, just for the benefit of everyone listening, politically exposed person we're talking like members of parliament high oh prominent yeah figures. so yeah. you know tony blair would still be classed as a pep um yeah. our prime minister for example is definitely a pep so yeah. it's someone who is basically open to corruption and in the role yeah. that they have due to their public service for example that's right. And it's not them as individuals. It's just they're the sorts of people who do get approached rather than. Yeah. You and, and that in turn makes it higher risk for the business. Hence why we have to do some more due diligence on them. Thank you. Excellent. That. So with investments then and money laundering, any suspicions or sometimes known as red flags, should they appear? What are they really to do with investments, Jen? This list is not exhaustive, Paul, but some of the main things are unusual source of funds, a customer who is overly aggressive and reluctant to provide information such as the source of funds. I find that is definitely a real red flag in my experience within financial crime. 
unusual transactions that are out the norm of the customer, high jurisdictions such as Russia and Iran, orders that are placed shortly before a significant market event, unable to identify the ultimate beneficial owner due to a complex business structure, using shell companies to disguise the ownership of assets. For example, you may have seen in the papers recently, the Panama Papers, and this highlighted a lot of businesses that were hiding money offshore. Thank you, Jen. And so let's say if an employee were to become suspicious, they see a red flag or two, what's their obligation? Okay, it is the obligation of an employee to report knowledge of, have suspicion or have reasonable grounds to suspect money laundering. An example would be the company CEO might be involved in fraudulent activities, but they don't have any solid evidence to support their claim, but they're suspicious. Another example would be financial discrepancies found during an audit and the testimonies given by multiple employees that have reasonable grounds to suspect that the embezzlement might have occurred within that company. Does that make sense, Paul? Uh Uh-huh, it does. Thank you. Wonderful. I would also stress once an employee has reported their concerns, they have fully satisfied their statutory obligations. Excellent. So you mentioned employees reporting their concerns. How did Mm -hmm. they do this? Okay. First, an initial investigation is to be completed by the employee, reviewing all the evidence available. If the employee still has concerns after the internal investigation, is to be referred to the compliance team for the money laundering reporting officer to review and establish next steps, and if this needs to be reported externally. The general terminology for this, Paul, is internal suspicious activity report, a SAR, or a suspicious transaction and order report, a store if the concerns are related to market abuse or insider dealing. But lastly, it is crucial for all of us to be vigilant and report any suspicious activities. By working together, we can help prevent these crimes and make our society a safer place. No suspicion is a bad one, Paul. I always go with my gut. Good idea. that. And Jen, thank you not only for that, but for everything throughout this podcast. I'm sure people have found it very useful. I hope so, Paul. I hope so. And it's been fun doing it together. So we got there. But I will say compliance are here to support the business. So if you've got any suspicions or any questions or you're struggling with any kind of investigation, please contact us. We're here to help. Thank you. So following this podcast, if you'd like to update your training and development within Suzanne after you've completed the few questions that are based on this podcast, that would be great. And just as a reminder, to report any suspicions money laundering you may have, please send them through our mailbox, which is compliance department at ifslfunds.com. And if you do have any questions related, please do get in touch with us as we are here to help.